Hey SEOs and content marketers, say goodbye to crazy spreadsheet mashups and experience unprecedented connectivity between your SEO planning and reporting data. Introducing Audience Key, technology for keyword mapping, content brief automation, and rank tracking that form an SEO strategy system providing unparalleled feedback loops between planning, reporting, and optimization activities. Put your time and energy into strategy, not data upkeep. Visit audiencekey.com and apply for a free trial today. Podcast on the 9th of February 2023. This is Jim Hedge from Digital Weeks Media, Christine Schackingers from Sites Without Walls in Las Vegas, and uh, welcome to Webcology. We got, uh, we got a special show today. This is, uh, again, we're, we're, we're midway through the uh, opening, opening days of the AI revolution. Um, this week, Google and Microsoft both announced they're introducing AI into uh, into search with SagePress events, which one of our guests today attended. He attended both both events and can speak to what happened at both. We got a couple of great guests, one from uh, the tools side of the world, the other from the agency side of the world. Both are going to be using AI at, at, at amazing scale. Um, Dwayne Forrester is vice president of industry insights at Yaxt the uh, leading business fact management tool where he leads industry outreach, evangelism, and company authorship. In his career, Dwayne ran the Webmaster Tools program at Microsoft and Bing. Before, he, before that, he ran the SEO program at, S, at MSN. After uh, leaving the concrete comforts of Microsoft, Dwayne ran the operation for Bruce Clay's company. He moved to Yex about five, maybe six years ago. Mm-hmm. And in between all of that, Dwayne authored two books, How to Make Money with Your Blog and Turn Clicks into Customers, both of which were published by McGraw-Hill. He also taught himself how to make custom electric guitars in his garage when he's not tending it up somewhere miles away from uh, civilization in what's obviously an ample amount of free time. Dwayne Forrester, welcome back to Webquology. Jim, thank you very, very much for uh, for the show today. I'm excited to to chat with uh, Ryan and, and Christine and yourself. Well, now that you mention it, we also have Ryan Jones, a web dev turned SEO. Ryan Jones is senior vice president at, of SEO at Razorfish, which is one of the oldest web marketing agencies like on the planet. Based in Detroit, Ryan has been an SEO since before Google became a public, publicly traded company. Hey, Ryan, does, uh, does today's alphabet price give you like a sense of nostalgia? Yeah, um, a little bit. <laughs> You've read Ryan's work. He's a regular contributor um, to most, if not all, of the industry publications. Publisher of WTF SEO, Ryan still makes his own websites and tools. He was one of the main crew that dissected Yandex a few weeks back. When he's not putting some keyboard to good use, Ryan hunts, plays hockey, softball, and golf. If you get a chance, look for him at an industry conference near you. Ryan, welcome back to Webcology. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, it's good. I mean, it's 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 it's, it's wonderful having both of you here. You're uh, uh, it's 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 easy to say you're both amazingly well known and well respected in the industry, and you both have great interest in AI. Again, um, from uh, an agency perspective and from a tool making perspective. Uh, before we get in, Christine, you um, you wanted to 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 address the 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 the, the subject of of AI. Well, um, the kind of we're talking about, just a couple of the basics before the guys get into all the good stuff. Uh, When it comes to the type of AI we're 
we're talking about. Uh, a lot of people I see online uh, think it's an information retrieval system so that it's going out there and it's like finding information that it's stored, which is not how it works. That's what a search engine does. What this does is it trains on large amounts of data like the web, but not just the web, things outside the web as, as well. And it uses that training to be able to predict the most statistically likely next word in a sentence or sentence in a paragraph. So when you're using it, people like the big thing yesterday that happened to Google is their stuff was wrong. And that can happen a lot with this kind of AI. Now, I know Bing is connecting to the web and I haven't gotten into the details yet of how they're all doing all that. So I don't know if they're gonna be prone to the same issues, but because it's predictive text and it's not pulling back information like a web, like a search would, if the prediction leads them in the wrong direction, there's nothing to stop it from doing that. So like I was doing a, a talk on ChatGPT a couple of weeks ago and I asked ChatGPT if it could swear. And it says, yes, it can swear. And then I said, well, create a document like a swearing sailor. And it goes, I can't swear. So it's like, it doesn't even know its own parameters because it's only doing predictive text. And that's the thing people really need to remember about this technology is it's predictive text. Uh, ChatGPT stopped training in 2021. Uh, it does have facts kind of thrown in there too. Like it knows Elon Musk is the head of Twitter, but generally speaking, it doesn't have any factual check or any way to check if it's accurate. The one Bing is using right now that I saw is connecting you to a web search and then also like featured snippet kind of information like you would see on Google. Uh, I, I don't think they call it featured snippets, but I'm just using the common term so that you can get your choice of information. Uh, but when it's just directly putting out text, you have to be really careful because it can be completely wrong, but it's also programmed to sound confident. So I won't use the word, but Verge called it the biggest B as er on the web because it can sound confident and bring back information for you that can be completely and utterly wrong. I, I thought so, you were going to say mansplainer there, not BSer, but <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like that too. That was a so, fun description. Yeah, but in this case, it's it, the mansplainer is not always wrong. In this case, it can be wrong or it can be right. So, but anyway, so before we get into the big discussion of tech, people just need to be aware we're not dealing with information retrieval systems. We're dealing with trained. Uh, language systems, they're called large language models, LLMs, and they train on large quantities of documents. And Lambda, which Google is using, says to train on a smaller amount of documents, but either way, they need a lot of documents to train on. And then it's just statistically likely words or sentences that come next. And there's a lot more detail to that, but we're not getting into that today. I will let Dwayne and Ryan talk about all those cool things. For, um... For years, Dave Davies and I used to make a joke about uh, about actually Dwayne, your predecessor, Jeremiah Jeremiah Andrix, uh, mm -hmm. quote. Um, we we were razzing him one day about um, Microsoft Live, I think, and oh, he's yeah. like, Jim, do you have any idea how hard it is to make a search engine? I uh, just breathless, or just 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 tired of being razzed, and I imagine it's the same thing with trying to apply. Um, AI to the business of search and information retrieval. Um, Dwayne, you were at um, both Microsoft and Google's uh, uh, press events. Um, and obviously you have a great deal of experience with, with, with Microsoft, with one of the players. Yes. What is happening between the two? And um, how, to, how to ask this question, uh, who stayed to the better event? So, okay, first off, I'm going to do a quick fact check here, Jim. 
Uh, the event for Microsoft was a press-only event. So my involvement with that was literally six different live streams happening out of the room, bringing that information together and layering it in with my own personal knowledge of how those events are run from the company, having been a part. Um, so, so anyhow, I just want to put that out there because we apparently live now in the instant age of fact-checking. And I would really hate for $100 billion of my valuation to be stricken from the books, uh, just like happened last night to someone else. Um, it's just at a discount <laughs> right now. It's, it's, it's on sale right now. Just stock up. It totally is. It totally is. Oh, absolutely. But we'll get to that in a sec. Yeah. Um, so, you know, look, it's, 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 I don't know if it's a smart thing to classify this as who did it better. Um, I think that Google's version of this was a bit more of a long, slow roll, where they started talking about some of these advances well before this week, well before saying they were going to have this event, and all of a sudden, this is it. And let's face it, you know, as an industry, we tend to gravitate toward what we want to have happen. I think that's natural for humans. Um, and so a lot of us in the industry wanted to hear big announcements about AI, large language models, machine learning, as applied to search per se. Um, and, uh, and you know, that's exactly what Bing did a day early. And, you know, both companies, a lot of work in the background, years of work and investment, a lot of smart people, a lot of, a lot of smart systems, a lot of learning, you know, to Christine's point earlier, um, ChatGPT is predictive. These, these systems are predictive in what word is next, um, but they don't work alone in the world of search. They are layered with many other components to give us this new era, if you will, of search. Um, you know, I, I, I may be slightly biased because I, you know, I kind of knew people. It was, it was super cool to watch Satya come out and talk about this. It was super cool to watch Yusuf come out and talk about this at the Bing event. These are people I worked with when I was there. So, you know, I, I kind of had that. Um, ultimately, you know, if I had to do it all over again, um, I wouldn't have been up at 5 a.m. for what happened with, uh, with the live stream from Google's side. Um, unfortunately, they had um, a minor funny technical issue where a phone went missing, which, you know, that happens. Um, I thought that their examples were fantastic. Um, I think they were great. Um, there was, there was, I just think there was nothing really new. We were all sitting there waiting for a, here you go, not helped by the day before the underdog competitor comes out and says, we are a new version of ourselves with these new capabilities and technologies and tools. And then the incumbent is sitting there saying, yeah, we did a bunch of stuff in the background. You probably already heard about all this, but let's have a presser on it, you know? So so I think more than was one good or one bad, we needed to moderate our own expectations. Um, I had had a conversation the day before with Barry Schwartz and Barry had like literally called it out saying like, don't be excited for tomorrow's Google event, you know? And I walked into the event like, I'm ready to go on the live stream. I'm ready to do this. <laughs> <laughs> and then our host walks out on stage and says, expect big things fade to black and i'm like screaming at my computer like that's it 
Uh, so, you know, I think maybe as an industry, uh, we were disappointed, but I think if you look more broadly for from the consumer point of view, I think both events were very, very important. They are anchors for where we are today and the direction we're all moving in. I mean, imagine what this is gonna be like for us all. I'll use the industry, the galactic standard five years from now, um, when um, consumers have fully adapted to conversational question and answering, the fact checking has improved, the information is better, we have more advanced systems, all of that is going to happen. And it started, I, it's easy to say this week, but it, it actually started a little bit before this in reality. Um, I think we're gonna start seeing the beginning of questions like, do I pay chat GTP $20 a month for access to this? Or do I use Bing's version of it? And what does that look like? And do I get what I need out of that compared to what extra is chat GPT giving me? You know, like there's just so much undiscovered country now. That's the exciting part of it for me. Something that confuses me. Um, we're talking about ChatGPT, ChatGPT, ChatGPT. And uh, as you mentioned, Dwayne, um, Google's been working with AI for, um, eight, we've known they've been working with AI for right. five or six years and actively integrating AI influence into search for at least 18 months. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, they've been out front with that. Microsoft's announcement early this week was ChatGPT is here and we're, we're smushing it into search and it'll start answering your questions. It's just, just ask it. Mm -hmm. What did Google say? What did Google introduce yesterday? Like, uh, like how different is it than the ChatGPT model? So, you know, there's a real subtlety there, Jim. And the, both of these events were one too much a, this is new, here are the new features, here are the new tools, we've stepped up, we've done all of this, ta-da. The other was, we've had this in all of these systems, let us show you how they operate in the real world. And that's a very subtle difference, right? This wasn't a situation where Google was trying to come out and say, everything is new, this will change your world. This is a situation where they were trying, I believe, to very softly tell consumers, we're working in the background to make all of your experiences better. And this is how we're doing it. And they're looking to different directions. It seemed a little bit odd to me that they were so aligned with um, the arts community. Um, I support this, obviously. I'm a big fan of the arts. But, but it just seemed a little bit odd for a tech company to say, we've spent all this time and resources in supporting these fields in the arts. And then they did the demo of the opera singing globs, which was quite cool. Um, a lot of that is, is it's meant to allow me to do things. Like I can very easily see in the future, Jim, you know, <laughs> if you have recordings of Christine and Ryan and I, we will sit down and we will have a general conversation with you about what we want to talk about. And then you will have a system that will be able to put together this whole thing without our voices, because it'll already know our voices. And so that was kind of in the background where I'm thinking, all right, good, bad, you know, but, um, but I think there was um, a very intentional, um, a very intentional uh, set of circumstances that happened here. Um, 
you know, Bing had an opportunity to come out first and foremost. They took that step. Um, you know, I've seen companies do this before, especially in the tech world. Um, it's 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 just um, uh, I well, let me put it this way. I think that unlike so many times when information is released to the press and it's a nothing burger, uh, Bing's event was anything but that. It was huge, not just for them, but for consumers, for technology, for all of these systems that we'll be working toward optimizing for in the future. It's kind of the line in the sand. Google took a, a little more gentle approach with that and basically reminded us of all of the areas that they're integrating all of this into and here are the cool things. Um, it did occur to me at one point though, if the Google event had been truncated early, if there was more to say, but for some reason they wound down before they finished with their topics. Um, that thought went through my mind, literally nothing to base it on, just my own speculation, but, um, but it was an interesting thought experiment. It's almost like, Dwayne, like Google, Google didn't want to do a press release. It's like they had to, right? And so if we go back, chat yeah. GPT, open AI, there's all the benefit in the world for them to launch early and, and to get the PR because they need the yes. capital. And it worked. They got Microsoft to invest. They got all this money. And now Microsoft invested all this money. Oh, crap. We need to answer the market. We have to show what we're doing with this. We have to have a press event to, to justify this giant spend. Well, and then Google's like, okay, crap right? There's, there's no benefit to us to release early. And as you can see, there was a detriment to release something that's flawed, right? Open AI, no detriment to release something that's flawed, but Google and Microsoft, if you release well, something flawed, it hurts. So look, I think, you know, Ryan, you bring up a really interesting point there, right? Which is, um, I, I think everyone accepts that open AI can fall on its face a bunch. It can yeah. fail a bunch. It can learn, it can grow. And we've all got the patience for it. But if this is one of the biggest brands, a household name, um, we have a different set of expectations as consumers. And so, you know, we saw what happened with the, the, the James Webb Space Telescope example that Google had published out there. Um, you know, I, I gotta be honest, I think that if there is a direct correlation between that example and mistake and what's going on in the stock market, I, I think that's crazy. Like that, that's, that's a bit much. Um, you know, you can't discount what's happening. However, it's, um, I don't, I wouldn't be basing my investing decisions on one simple thing like that, especially when we know coming into this, we all knew, everyone knew coming into this, it's possible for it to be wrong. <laughs> this is not newsworthy that it made a mistake. Yes. The only thing that's newsworthy is they tried to use it as an example in an ad and it you know, this would be no different than if they release an ad that had a typo in it. Like it's that type of moment. Um, so, um, so yeah, I, you know, I think there's, um, I, I, I did have a feeling I expressed this on Twitter the other day. I wonder if we're all just moving too fast. Um, I'm not saying we're not ready or we, we shouldn't have these systems rolling out and getting out there and, and us having to adapt to it and learn from it. But but, you know, to your point, Ryan, I, I do feel like there was so much conversation about ChatGPT from, you know, like September, October timeframe on through the holidays and straight through till now. I, I do think there was quite a bit of pressure from, you know, executives, from shareholders, from the general population um, 
for these companies to do something. And, you know, Microsoft, to me, the pattern that they followed makes perfect sense. I've seen it dozens of times in, you know, my decade there. Um, and it just, to me, made sense that there you go. Your timing is what it is. Um, I, I do get the feeling that maybe given a vacuum and a choice, Google may have waited a little while longer before, maybe in the fall with one of their official events, they would have like done more. Um, and maybe we'll see that at that point. But, um, but look, we are all in a sticky world now, right? We, we now live in a world of search where it's not as easy as the algorithm says, because now there's a, there's a bunch of additive pieces to this that may or may not be accurate, may or may not be, you know, like timely. I don't know. So I don't know. Christine, what are, what are you thinking here? Um, well, I just wanted to throw in there because I, I don't think a lot of people in the audience probably know, but the paper, I believe it was 2018 from Google about dil making dilettantes out of search engines was actually the launching point for the OpenAI direction mm -hmm. with ChatGPT. And if you've never read it, it's a really good paper. It basically explains how machine learning systems are just kind of dumb. You know, mm -hmm. they, they can repeat things they're trained on, but that's really about it and synthesize what they're trained on. So, but I find it interesting too, the way that these this has come out. And, and to your point, Dwayne, when you said, you know, maybe too fast, I think what happened was OpenAI wasn't getting any traction on any of this tech. So they launched it to everybody. They released it, and uh, this is my word, a nuclear bomb on the world. And they threw it out there and they got their funding. And now Microsoft owns 49% and Microsoft actually has control of OpenAI until they can pay back the investment. So, and Microsoft actually has an ethics pledge if you use their AI tools. Uh, so they are trying to at least have an ethical way of going forward. But by launching it the way he, they did so quickly, how many people were fired at BuzzFeed, 12% for writing? Yes. Um, how many people that work on Upwork or any of those small sites that are text broker that make their money writing for companies? Mm -hmm. um, so right now we've just killed an entire level of jobs for millions of people around the world with no ability to replace them. You know, I can't go somewhere else and do that. They're, you know. I, so I'm not, saying that, I'm not saying that all the jobs are dead, but I'm saying that a lot of companies are now looking at removing people that did that kind of work. You know, at the same time, uh, I, I, I'm kind of glad that that happened openly. I, I, I'm sad that the jobs at, Buzz, at BuzzFeed are gone. Those are, those are journalists who lost their jobs. That's important to me. I'm, uh, I'm terrified of, 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 of uh, AI writing like core information that that we read in our in, in our society our democracy in our business decisions or whatever but I'm glad it's happening in the open and not behind closed doors so at least there's that yeah that is true but if you if you take that they're going to do also a video uh chat gpt so they're gonna do videos yeah. they're gonna do this they're actually want to oh, do programming, the, 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 like this is programming. the whole thing the the genie's yeah. out of the bottle and it's and it's wild the question is, what do people, for me at any rate, is what do people like Dwayne or what do people like Ryan do, do with it professionally um, and, and ethically? Because we will have to come up with some set of standards. But the thing is, we're doing this on the fly. Yeah. <laughs> and it, there ain't no stopping it at this yeah. point. We're not going to come up with standards because we weren't able to come up with standards for SEO for the last 25 years. <laughs> and we tried. But, so, but but different philosophies did emerge, no, and look, you know, you, Google's, Google's official position is they don't care if you use AI to generate content, and no, then they, 
things that they do care about. And, you know, from my perspective, like I, I sit with clients all day, every day, and I'm sitting there looking at their menus, pulling items off their menus and giving it to ChatGPT and saying, make this more appealing, make this more appetizing, give me better descriptions. And in paragraphs that are three to four words longer, think about that, three to four words longer than the original, I'm getting back text that is much more salivating, much more likely to make me want to buy that item on the menu. And pro tip, I actually graduated with a degree in hospitality administration. So I spent a semester learning how to design menus. So I understand what it means to position things on a menu and how you influence revenue for a restaurant with those choices. And I'm just sitting here and I'm thinking, if you have a nationwide restaurant chain and you have a nationwide menu and you have, I don't know, let's be generous and say 40 items on your menu, how long is it going to take you to run all 40 of those through ChatGPT and improve them and fact check it yourself? Not long. That is not even a week's worth of work for an SEO. And then you have a much, much more, if you'll pardon the phrase, human consumable menu that someone will look at and say, wow, that's, that's like super enticing. I want that dish. And it does more than just get them to buy something with a higher revenue because they are now excited about it and they feel everything on the menu is delicious. Sounds amazing. I want it all. They're priming themselves for repeat visits. It's a whole lot easier to get them back in the door. And I'm like, I, think about how much time and effort and words I just used to describe one small thing that this can be applied to. And I'm not even looking at the technical side. of it. That's purely a content piece. But Jim, to your point, you still need a human being to look at every single word in there and make sure it makes sense. Like yes. that, that's a critical thing here. So I think instead of companies looking at this saying, well, we don't need editors, we'll just use this system. What they need is they need to change the job classification from editor to fact checker and literally create a separate job. And that person runs the creation of that content through human control. That is but, an inevitable so part. I, was, I, I got to interject here real quick before Ryan, Ryan, real quick, and then you can talk as long as you want. Um, but that job of editor and the job of check our content to make sure it's right is going to be a pay differential of probably about 80%. So the amount of damage that the AI is going to cause in the job market without having any backups, like in the United States, like UBI or anything like that, for those people that won't have other skills they can easily transfer anywhere else. It is a problem that the AI companies, I feel, need to address also because they're the ones that are creating the problem so quickly. There's no time to adapt to the problem. So, so I will push back on that, Christine, and I will say that if we are going to replace the editor with a fact checker, yeah, there is a pay differential. But if we value the work the fact checker does, then they need to be reclassified and paid the same. That's the bottom line. This isn't an easy thing. There's not one fix for anything. It's layers and layers and layers of readjustment. Yeah, it's it's very macro level. We were I was actually just talking with my CEO in the office right prior to this podcast taping. And he, he said something to me. He said, look, you know, to Jim's point, the genie's out of the bottle. He said, um, anything that can be done by AI is going to be done by AI. And that doesn't mean it's going to work. But it, at some point, we're going to try to do anything that can be done with AI with AI. Right. And that doesn't mean with, with rare exceptions here, like we're talking about, it doesn't mean the machines are taking your job, but who is going to take your job are the people that know how to use the machines. And that's, 
that's the key differentiator. So Ryan, is it gonna be you or me who updates their LinkedIn with their current job as prompt engineer? <laughs> I'm waiting for someone to do it. I swear. Like, I, think, I think Dave Davies jumped out a couple of, about right. three months ago. Right. I actually like, saw prompt engineer jobs for 250,000. It might be a good direction to go. Oh my goodness, you're kidding, really? <laughs> no, I mean, if you, could write, if, you, if you could write a good meta description, you could be a good prompt engineer, don't you think? Yeah, but yeah. see, that's the thing, Jim. Like, people don't know that. You're, like, we're all looking at it going, crap, we've been prompt engineers for 20 years. Like, literally can make that claim if you're an SEO. Yet, general business owners, they have no idea. They're looking at some new system that they were sold that has AI in it. And now there needs somebody who's good with prompts. What does that even mean? And, and then you show up and they look at you and they go, holy crap, that's $150,000 a year easily because that's worth 1.7 million in new sales for us. That's how those things get figured out. And, and here we are, you know, like I think back to, um, well, take a look at the early days of SEO. We had all of these very high level senior SEO positions. And you look at that today, and there are relatively few senior SEO positions. There's a lot of mid-level and lower entry-level SEO positions, but they all report into somebody who's not just SEO. And so I think we're going to see something along that lines. We're going to end up with prompt engineers, and then it's not going to be a skill set that you have a job for. It's just going to be a skill a programmer has to have, like SEO. And there, that's the job description we see in the future. Yeah. So, to that, to, to that point, Dwayne, um, when, when when Google announced the uh, the name of their 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 AI that they were they were going to uh, introduce the other day, they called it Apprentice Bard, and I started joking that we got to be prepared for some really really bad bad poetry appearing on the web somewhere. <laughs> it's it's going to be everywhere. Um, I think we ha do have to prepare for some poorly directed bad content that's going to suddenly appear everywhere yeah. and um that made me wonder what are i mean being a prompt engineer is a, 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 a pretty meta description of a whole bunch of skill sets that are going to be necessary uh for for seos in the coming future um both ryan and, and Dwayne, what, what do you see as skill sets that um you're going to be looking for when, when when judging seos moving forward so first off, I think if you're looking for bad poetry, that site's just called LiveJournal, and it's existed for a long time. There's going to be a lot of it. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I don't think the skill sets are that advanced, you know, to be prompt engineer. And I, I, I really don't want to see prompt engineer become a thing. Yep. What I want to see is a workplace where, you know, software engineer uses AI and, you know, uh, SEO uses AI, creative, right? Like, if you look at the Dolly API, which we haven't even talked about, it can do some mm -hmm. slicing and, and, and layer and, and, you know, um, stuff that I don't even know how to do in Photoshop. It can do some of that cool stuff, mm -hmm. but I think we're going to see the regular jobs using AI to make themselves more efficient and how can they get more done with less, uh, using it. So I don't think, you know, prompt engineer, no one's going to be sitting there prompting AI all day long, hopefully. Um, but the, it's going to be certain skill sets and, you know, how do you how do you leverage right it, logic plays a lot into it because you got to understand how it works but also everything that an seo does like Dwayne said just just feeds right into it like how do people search what are people looking for it's 
all of our skill sets translate nicely to this, to be honest with you, uh, whether it's a data skill set, a programming skill set, an SEO skill set. I think this is just going to be a tool, right? And I always say every tool is like a knife. You can you can butter bread or you can stab yourself. And AI is no different. It's it's going to be a tool in our tool set. And the people that use it most effectively are, are going to be the ones that you need to worry about, not the AI. That's a really yeah, good I point, think- Ryan. I have to agree with this. Like, I don't think that anybody should spin up a job around prompt engineering. Um, it's a great fun joke for us right now at this moment in time. Um, but this is about using new tools and using them just exactly as Ryan had suggested, right? To increase efficiencies. I mean, you're working on your presentation and you're busy with graphs and imagery. You run over because you have an image in your head. Um, I'll use a personal example. I just did this yesterday. I went over to Dolly 2 and I said, um, uh, space art image of a robot bull looking over its shoulder while pooping nuts and bolts. And I was trying to get to this concept visually of kind of AI BS and talking about that concept. So I wanted a visual for this. The first thing it told me is you're asking me to make something that's against our rules and regulations, right? And I'm like, hmm, okay, I guess it won't do anything with pooping. Got it. So I asked it to do the bolt, and it did the bolt. And then they have a new feature where you can add layers. So I went in to edit, and then I asked it to add nuts and bolts, and it used the exact same style, everything, scale, the whole thing, and then allowed me to drag the layer around exactly where I wanted it behind the bolt. And I got the image I wanted. Like, you know, and that made everything so much faster because typically I end up down a rabbit hole of scouring the internet for images for now all of a sudden 45 minutes are gone and I still don't have the perfect image to put on this slide with this content. Or I have my talk track for all of my slides, but I'm looking for an intro that encapsulates the why you're watching this presentation. I'm not gonna write that. I'm gonna hand over my ideas to ChatGPT and see what it comes up with and then use that as a baseline, especially because I can tell it bullet point 10 important points that I need to make in a speech about this topic. And it'll give me all those. And I don't have to spend my brain power thinking for those things. If there's something that's inaccurate, I can delete it, don't use it, it's not a problem. But it's about the ideation, that side of things and coming up with stuff that you never thought of. I mean, where was this 20 years ago when we were all doing keyword research, trying to find those random keywords that didn't have any real traffic on them or any real ads on them, but had traffic. Like this just makes all of these things so much smoother and faster. And I actually think it acts as a bit of a leveling agent. If you've got folks that are trying to level up their game, this is a great tool to help increase their efficiency and their skill level. That sort of thing is where we see all of this in the future. And, you know, right to the center of Ryan's point, this isn't going to be a job on its own. This is just going to be like, you know, we have to know as SEOs what intent refers to and how someone's intent path matters and where you put yourself along the way and then how you present yourself along that path. You have to understand the same thing about prompts. You have to write in a very descriptive manner with very clear direction. And when you start to get a feel for that, it feels a little pedantic when you're typing it. But when you see the output is exactly what you're looking for and it's factually accurate, then you know what? You just saved yourself probably an hour of time. That has a huge impact, huge impact. 
this might sound like a weird question, but um, through most of my career, the great holy grail in search was personalization. Make the search results relevant to the individual doing the search. Mm -hmm. That was uh, that was the holy grail, both for the search engines and for SEOs. Um, you know, get people to the conversion point as fast as you can. Um, it strikes me that um, uh, 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 machine learning models that that use um, the same massive, albeit massive, um, content base, knowledge base to train themselves. If they eventually start creating all the content inside that knowledge base, we're going to have a snake eating its own tail sort of situation. Uh, have we left the era of personalization? Is that over? I don't think so. I think, I mean, we're a long ways off from the snake eating its own tail if, if we get there, right? It, and it is a worst case scenario, but I don't think it's, it's reasonable right now that, that it's going to happen or that we're going to get there anytime soon. But yeah, we could, right? Hopefully we put some things in place not to get there. But personalization wise, I mean, what's to stop Bing search results from feeding in everything they know about you and saying personalize this listing to hear all this information that I know about Dwayne while he's searching. Yep. And, you know, all of a sudden everything is, you know, Taylor Swift uh, listings instead of, you know, whatever. But it's, <laughs> of like, they can do that right now. The problem is, you know, is you don't want to feed in personal information or, or, or stuff into your, into it. even now, if you're playing with it, just don't do that because you don't know if it's training future models on all the stuff you type into it or not. So um, maybe be careful there. But I, I think in some areas it makes personalization harder and in some areas it could make it a lot easier. And I know that's super broad, but I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> so okay. I, I'm going to jump on this one. I think that um, we are still growing our approach to personalization. Um, I think um, very much in agreement with Ryan on this. Um, it's not going away. It's not ending. I think if anything, we now have the era of tools in front of us that allow us to do personalization at scale in a way that we probably couldn't do prior. Now, it's one thing to have Google and Bing lightly reorder the, uh, the order of um, results because it knows that you go to this website frequently over the last three weeks. And it's likely as you start entering www.whatever that you meant that same place that you've been to frequently. That's, that's you know a pretty handy level of personalization, which sometimes gets it wrong because maybe I'm over that and I don't care about that anymore. And it just happens to start with the letter P and I wanted to go somewhere else. And now you're annoying me. But imagine what that's like when you're a business that has the ability to literally create content on the fly as Ryan comes through their digital front door. So Ryan comes in looking for something it understands what those keywords is, or what the keywords are. It's now creating, crafting, and publishing a page of content specific on that, related to their known history with Ryan, on a landing page only for him. Now, look, we're not far off that, okay? Digital experience platforms are going to make that happen. We are on, we've been talking about DXPs for a lot of years now, generally speaking. But I think that this machine learning systems, these really start to make these things happen because scale is where we all fall down. It's where every website, 
just grinds to a halt, figuratively and literally. Um, and, and it's a problem. Like, humans can't curate that much content. And yet, other humans want all that content. So I think that personalization is going to come up in new and um, new and interesting ways that we haven't forecasted or seen yet. I, I have all, a question for you. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead oh, I was going to say, all the tech to do what Dwayne just described, you know, I come into a website and it takes everything it knows about me, creates a personalized page. All that exists. It just might take it 15 seconds to load that page, but that all exists right now. I, I could literally code that up uh, if I wanted to. It's, you know, it just wouldn't be a really good user experience, but it'll be exciting to see what happens in the future there. So um, I have a question for you guys. The big Achilles heel for this kind of large language modeling is not having anything to train on. So right now there are multiple companies in court suing over the copyright issues. And there are, from what I've listened to from some legal experts, true copyright issues. Because even though it's synthesized, it still has an origin point of the documents trained on. And so they can't, they do have standing to sue. Uh, Getty Images being, of course, is one of the big ones. If anyone knows Getty, of course, you know, they're very mm -hmm. litigious. So what happens to all of this if the law says sites have a right not to be trained on without compensation or have the right not to be trained on at all? Like Google has to allow a tag in the sites that it uses, but they can't use any of that data for training. What happens if I, the large language modeling has nothing digital to train on? I, I don't think it does. So a couple points here. I think your point about um, the image creation and copyright, I think there are some a lot of valid issues there on a lot of issues that I, I'm afraid to see the courts try to figure out. <laughs> because <laughs> frankly, I don't know a judge in America that understands it enough to rule on it right now. Yeah. But, too. Um, I think on the, on the opt-out side, uh, and this is where the Microsoft deal becomes really important, because on the opt-out side, right, we all know, like you've covered in your intro, Christine, they're not actually storing data. They're storing, you know, a for lack of a better term, a, a word vector, you know, uh, representation of terms and their relationship to each other in 3D space and words that are closer or more likely to occur next to each other, right? And the ultimate model has no idea where it found those words to, to cite a source or anything like that. It just, right, it just knows these words are common. But, you know, opting out um, of future crawls, you know, is something webmasters could do. I, I can see our government, or, or at least the European government right now, creating some sort of law that, that requires that, whether it's justified or not, I can see it happening. But I, I don't think there's any shortage of stuff to train on. Um, there's so much open, you know, free stuff out there that, you know, whether it's the Library of Congress or the websites that let it train or Microsoft's building it into Word and Teams at some point, you know, this is happening, um, even if they haven't announced it. And businesses will probably opt into letting it access that data or people let into, opt into letting it access that data. You know, so there's going to be enough data for common language understanding that I don't think it's going to be a huge issue. But like as a webmaster, I'm not too worried about it crawling my content because it's, you know, if we expect this, even the way the search engines are working, right? Like I don't think they're, they're pulling directly from websites. They're summarizing the results that they would just show in the search results to begin with. Uh, is what it feels like to me what they're doing it's just you know feeding in that that data through a text embedding or lack of a better term and having it summarized here's all the top 10 results you know summarize that for me into into one holistic answer here right we know it's not just pulling directly from someone's page so i don't i don't think it's a huge issue as a lot of people are making it out to be but we're still too early so we don't know what's going to fully happen um and again this is all on the text side on the image side there there's probably going to be some much bigger concerns i think 
Okay, I have to jump in yeah, really I quickly. Totally, Dwayne has to get out of here, so I want to, before he goes, Dwayne, thank you so much for spending spending your time with oh, us absolutely. today. Yes, thank you, Dwayne. Absolutely. Absolutely, I've appreciated this. I do want to just touch on Christine's last question. Um, Christine, I advise you to contact legal counsel. We get answers to those questions. <laughs> <laughs> legal Eagle is really good. He's on YouTube. <laughs> hey, Brain Forrester, yeah. Vice President of Industry Insights at Yaks, man. Thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Ryan, we do have you here for a couple more minutes, and I want to exploit that tie vigorously. Um, Let's do it. <laughs> Um, you were saying earlier that you were you were you were having a, a, a conversation with, with, with your boss, and he said straight up, "If it can be automated, we're automating it." Um, how do you see this? How quickly do you see this um, coming? And how do you see it impacting large scale agencies in the future? Yeah, so let me explain our CEO's quote. Um, when Razorfish was founded decades ago. It was founded with the principle of anything that can be digital will be digital. And so his quote of anything that can be AI will be AI is, is a reference to that, but it's also not wrong. Um, and so it's you know, not, yeah, that's the context of the quote. So I think, um, I think the tools aspect of, of, of automating stuff is interesting. A lot of SEOs are out there like, I got to automate content. I got to automate content. And to me, I think that's the lazy approach. Like, Automating content to me is boring. I'm, I'm not interested in that. Um, what I am interested in is utilizing AI to reduce workloads. So I have a program I wrote in Python that takes in data from a whole bunch of different sources and APIs out there. I'm not going to explain how it works exactly, but <laughs> it takes in all this data, you know, whether it's search volume, whether it's who's ranking for, excuse me, for a keyword, whether it's the content of various websites that are ranking, right? All this data feeds in. And then I can give it some prompts and some negative keywords and I can get it to create a content outline for me. And it can create, you know, what are the key topics for this, this article based on what users expect and who's ranking and, and right. So we can do all this kind of cool stuff there. Um, I can feed in a whole bunch of competitor web pages and do other tools we're looking at and, and kind of get me some gap analysis done by the AI, you know, and, and to tell me, you know, what topics, are they lacking and what topics are most common across this this set of results and so when it comes to using it for manual tasks that otherwise would take a long time to do i think it's invaluable it's doing some really cool stuff but like like i i, I think i tweeted a while ago like you know using it to create content is boring like, hook it up to CRISPR and have it create genes. Now I'm interested, but you know, it's, <laughs> automating and, tasks and, is going to be the cool part. Okay. But that and that's, well, I just want to jump in real quick to, uh, to what Brian said. Uh, also when Google talks about AI content, it doesn't say you can't do it. AI has to be useful. AI content really isn't unique. It's different. It's summarizing. I think when it comes to the terms, if you read what Google says about AI content, they're not saying AI, they can identify AI and they won't use AI. But a lot of the characteristics of AI content are listed now in the things that they don't really want to see in content. I mean, they have 5 million articles, so you need to make it like special, I think. Yeah. But what do you think? I, I agree there. Um, I think, you know, I think Google. They, they're probably going to have some sort of AI detector and they're going to use it as a spam signal. Um, you know, from what we've learned from the Yandex code, that's, that's going to happen. But I, I don't think they need to penalize content just because it's AI. I think to borrow Dwayne's, Dwayne's term, 
they're just not going to reward a lot of it because most of it is bull bolts. <laughs> right, right. You like that? Uh, yeah, bull yeah. bolts is going to be a thing. But it's <laughs> like to what Christine said, it's it's just a lot of it's just not good. And if by the off chance some of it was good, then if it's useful and good and answered the user's query, right? Big ifs here. But if that happens, why not show it? If it's, you know, if it's useful and it's relevant to the query and it's good, why not show it? Why ban it just because it's AI? Now, the odds of that happening with AI content are so far from what I've seen SEOs doing, not, not very likely. But <laughs> I, I don't think Google or Bing or Yandex or, you know, anybody needs to ban content just on the basis of being AI because I think their bull bolt detectors are for poor quality content are, are good enough to already be dismissing a lot of it. And I know people are going to come at me and say, well, no, look at all this crap I generated and it's ranking. Okay. Wait till the next, you know, update and see what happens to it before, before you claim success. Yeah, Ryan, I, I agree. Yeah. Ryan, I earlier did. you were noting that um, in large agencies, uh, AI is likely going to be used as a labor saving device. Um, I don't want to put you on the spot and I, I really don't want to make anybody on any, any of your teams, uh, nervous <laughs> when I ask you this question, but, um, you're a vice president. That means you assign groups of people. What does this mean for assigning resources? I don't think it, it changes how we assign resources. And I, I want to be very careful here with what I say. I know. apologize for the question, but, man. I know no, no, I put you good. on the spot. Um, I don't think it changes that at all. I think it just allows my team to do more in those hours. So I think it, it allows us to do more with the same, right? It, you know, 10 hours of, okay. of my time can now accomplish more than 10 hours of my time used to accomplish. Does that mean you can take more clients? Probably. Uh, or, you know, it, it, it means we can do more for the existing clients. It means maybe we can take more clients. I think we're still figuring that out. Um, you know, especially from a numbers point of view that, you know, I, I can't talk to a numbers point of view, but I think we're still figuring that out. But I think it's just going to make us all more efficient. And no one's, no one's ever wanted to not be more efficient at, at their own jobs, right? As a uh, vice president, how does um, the advent of AI affect you and people in, in, at your level in an organization? I think we're still figuring that out a lot. Um, you know, it's, it's very early. Um, right now, it, the biggest effect is every client wants a POV uh, on how it affects their business and their marketplace. So I think a lot of us are, are busy having those discussions, um, you know, and my, my general stance there on the STO side is I don't think it changes a lot of our day-to-day -day work. I think it gives us more tools to do our work, but when it comes to understanding, you know, what people are looking for and what they're trying to accomplish and what they're trying to do in that, with that search query, I don't think it changes when it comes to what factors rank a website and get shown up in Google. I don't think it changes. So like day to day, I don't think much changes there. I think we just have more tools and, you know, different ways to, to look at stuff and, um, you know, ways to make ourselves more efficient and, and get more done. I, I'm, I'm excited for it. When you look at the way that um, Microsoft is using uh, chat GPT and Google is using its um, langu language uh, language modeling AIs, um, which do you think is going to have the stronger results in the future? I don't know. I mean, if we look at stronger by market size, right? Google's got the one up there, even if their product's not as good. But um, I, I think it's interesting. Um, it depends on what they do with it. And we don't know a whole lot of what they're feeding into it and, and what they're doing it and, and, you know, how are they iterating on it? 
we know Microsoft has a newer version of ChatGPT. I forget what they called it. We know Google has a scaled down version of Lambda that it's definitely not sentient um, <laughs> that they're using, right? So I think it depends on how they innovate over it. Um, because you know, right now, look, like you said, it's it's summarizing search results for lack of a better term. It's hey, here, you know, is a piano or guitar easier? Here's the content from those ten websites. You know, summarize that ten websites and give me an answer. Is ex not explicitly what it's doing, but it's kind of what it's doing for our mental model. And is there more they can do with that? Probably. Uh, and it'll be exciting to see where they go. But as they expand more into that, the opportunity for mistakes grows. And so. I think both Google and Bing are going to be very careful with that because they don't want to amplify those mistakes. Whereas we might see some smaller players out there, right? Like you.com has been using AI in their search results for a while now. Um, they just didn't have a press event, but they're doing some cool stuff in there and you know, it works and they've got the chatbots in there. But I think, honestly, I think we might see the smaller players take some more risks because they don't have to worry about the stock price. We've been looking for the uh, for the quote unquote Google killer for um, I don't know ever um, since what two thousand and five anyway. Um, might 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 Google's inability inability to react to other people around it be that Google killer? Uh, it it certainly has a chance. I mean, a better chance than everything else we've called the Google killer so far. Um, <laughs> I I just don't I don't know that you know, it's good enough for people to switch yet. And there's a lot of hype. And I think a lot of people are checking out Bing and Edge and the Bing app and everything right now. Um, does it stick is going to be the key question because a lot of people are just playing with it and, you know, excited to see what's happening. And does it become part of their daily lives? Does it stick in their routines is, is going to be the big question. And my gut tells me Google staved off everything else that they're going to, they're going to manage this one too, but It'll be fun to see. Uh, I had just a quick thought on that question for you. Um, when it comes to adding these to search, how do they preserve their ability to make money off of ads? Because Google still gets 85% of its revenue for everything, Alphabet included, from the advertising. And I don't know how big, how large Bing's is, but I'm sure it's quite significant. So if you're giving people answers without people having to click on anything, how does that affect their ad revenue? Yeah, um, I may have mentioned earlier, right? Bill Gates in 2009 said the future of search is verbs, right? People are looking to do something. And well, we're in that future now. And with ads and with, with search, I think the, the pure informational search, right? How do I sort a list in Python? What was Taylor Swift's first album name? I don't think users ever wanted a website for those answers. Um, like the, a website is the best we had to give them at the time but I don't think users ever wanted an answer, right? I, I want to know it's list.sort in Python. And I want, I want to know that, you know, was, was it read her first album? No, I don't know. I don't know the name of Taylor Swift's first album, but maybe I should Google it. But I don't need a website, right? I don't need a website that's going to have ads and a cookie notice and want to send me notifications. And I just want the name of the album. And I think we're, as advertisers and agencies, we're going to have to get used to the fact that these users never wanted our website. They weren't going to buy from us. They weren't going to, book our hotel room or buy our product or, you know, sign up to our newsletter, right? These, these aren't the users we're after. And so I think from a paid search standpoint and a natural search standpoint, we got to focus on the verbs. 
what are the users trying to do? What, how do we capture those? And it, it might mean, you know, spending a little less money on the website brand name or on, you know, some, some, some weird informational searches and, and going into more broad upper funnel terms um, or different types, you know, different types of queries. It might mean expanding a content strategy a little bit, um, but we're, we're going to have to pivot. And unfortunately, there's going to be a lot of websites whose entire model is ad views over facts that they don't own, right? Like, you know, Taylor Swift's first album. Nobody owns that fact. Like, that's just a thing. Everybody, it's, it's fact, right? Who, who should rank for that anyway? Probably her, but... If she has it her way. Right, but people making money off those queries, right, aren't... Those businesses may die. And But I would argue that those things probably never should have been a business to begin with. Um, and it's, it's just, you know, we got to focus on on different different types of the funnel different keywords and we got to focus on the verbs that's it's all about the verb well I, I, and i really i think that's actually the quote of the show uh remembering that 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 gate said search is the verb and then and you noting that we're in that in that era now um and uh you know looking forward towards that um or thinking of, of of that as a philosophy moving forward when thinking about what we're doing as seos what our jobs are how we're going to be assigning our resources, um, how we're going to be making pages, um, and for whom we're making these pa these pages for. Um, that was uh, uh, an incredibly intense conversation, but you know we got full clock. It's um it's 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 top of the uh, top of the hour at time of recording. So Ryan, um, man, thank you so much for joining us. We're gonna have to leave it at that, but come back to it later. Always great to be here. Thanks again for having me and and for Dwayne. It's always fun. Um, yeah, well, thank again, you, Ryan. Uh, Ryan Jones, uh, Vice, Senior Vice President at, at Razorfish. Um, again, man, thank you for your time. Friends, you've been listening to Webcology, recorded live to podcast on the uh, 9th of February, 2023. Um, on behalf of Kristen Schackinger from Sites Without Walls, this is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media. Be kind, be safe, um, build good content, build, even if they're not coming for the factoids, build good sites anyway. Um, study AI, like, uh, like both Drain and Ryan said repeatedly, um, those who knows the tools gets the jobs in the future. Um, and those who don't, well, um, they, they're going to be struggling for work. Um, be kind to each other and stay well. We'll talk to you next week. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.